Welcome to the Monsters and Treasure podcast, where we talked way too long about a subject, especially today, and just give you the best parts. I'm Daniel Norton, here as always with K.R. King. Just hoping that we've passed another milestone. Not likely. So, you know, Daniel, we've, we've talked about progression. Uh, I've had a discussion on that before. But one of the interesting things, you had mentioned that you heard about a lot of people out there, in the, at least in the 5e world, use milestones, especially when they get to higher levels, as opposed to the monsters that they kill uh, or other means. And and I, and you've played a lot of different systems. I've played a few. I, of course, played all the old uh, D&D systems. And, you know, what do you think about that in terms of how do you, in your experience, people get up? What's the highest levels they get? And and how did they get there in your experience? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, first of all, you, you if you go on Twitter and Reddit and all these places, you talk to people, you do see that the people, when they're talking high-level campaigns and you, they start digging into it, it seems like they're using milestones. Whether or not they started there uh, is another question, and that's what I'm going to say. In my campaign, when I first started running 5e, I ran a three-year campaign. It went from first level all the ways to 13th. At the end, they were all 13th level. They lost a few characters along the way, but you know they they uh, they got that far. And we started with experience points for combat, straight out of the book, raw, whatever you want to call it. You kill monsters, you get you know experience points. And what I found was at about sixth, seventh ish level. It just became every session was a two-hour fight because we were playing two-hour sessions. And it was like, okay, we move a little bit, we fight for two hours. We move a little bit, we fight for two hours. And not because combat's slow or any of the other things that people want to complain about. I'm not going to get into that. Maybe that's another podcast. It be Just because in order to kill enough of the monsters or slay them, defeat them, however you want to say it, it just took that much. You know, it just takes time to run eight characters uh, combat against enough foes to give them the whatever many experience points they need. And if you actually use the CR thing where like, you know, where like it's not actually worth all the experience points it's worth because of how many you put together, uh, which I didn't use. Uh, it can be a lot. So at some point I just switched. I said, you know what, guys, uh, we actually were playing a module called um, the Assassin's Knot, which is a uh, AD&D module. And it was basically it says at the beginning of this module, there's not a lot of combat or gold because it's an investigation. But what you should do is by the end of the module, they should level from X level to X level. I can't remember what levels the module was. And that made me think, cool, I'll set goals. So this is before I, I mean, I, obviously I do what milestones were, but I, I didn't realize I was doing that, right? So I said, all right, they solve this part of the plot. They'll go up a little, they'll get this much experience points. They'll solve this much. They'll get this much. And by the end, they leveled up, right? And uh, that's how I started doing milestones. From that point on, we just switched. And I found it to be much cleaner to do it that way. Well, it's interesting because, of course, in the original system, as you well know, because you're delving into it probably far deeper than I ever did at the time, we treasure was the arbiter. So you could just have a treasure hoard. You could just have, we, we would have legends of treasure hoards, some island where someone had buried something in the players. And of course, it had all these monsters and things. But what they were going for was the treasure. Then they'd load it on a ship and then they'd sail back. And of course, they were beset by pirates and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. But that was just, you could set whatever number you wanted. If you needed 100,000 gold or a million gold, whatever you want. Once it got into the monster thing, they got rid of that. And I believe, was it second edition? I can't remember where they got rid of the treasure for experience. But it's certainly in third. So what I always did was I gave points for role play. I would say, depending on what was that, you know, a 500 here, 250 there, maybe some elaborate multi-session thing, 1,000. That was my version of okay, I, I'm just going to make a treasure and here's what the treasure is because based on a game mechanic. Right. Because otherwise you could never get up to those levels. Now, we never got past, I, 
10th. I had a few characters that would get up to like 11th or 12th that ran forever and ever and ever. But either the campaign petered out or it just became, are you really just going to give out, you know, however many hundred thousand points because I role played for, you know, it just, it starts to strain credibility. We didn't just do, but I didn't just do, oh, you've run six sections or, oh, you, you finished this goal. So now you're at another level. We never did it that we were always keeping track of points per se, right. which maybe that was a mistake. I don't know because, but I never had to deal with, except when we would have a one shot and we'd say, let's run 15th level guys and let's run, <laughs> to, you know, whatever. And then we'd run them and kind of go, it's a little ridiculous. Plus you didn't care about the character was the other. Right. Thing. But for me, there was a limiting factor. I don't know whether that was just the life of a campaign or it just became sort of more and more ridiculous to hand out milestones. I don't, I don't know if that, what, what your experience, what, what, what were the high, I guess you just said that. Well, I think what's interesting about this is a lot, there's a few like great things to unpack there. So I believe it was second edition. I mean, I'm no historian, but I, I've read a little bit of second edition because I had bought the books and weirdly I bought them when I was like in college, just cause I was like, Oh, D and D. And I put them in a closet and didn't pick them up again until after I already got back and was playing five E for two years. And I've realized I had them. I'm not a big fan of second edition. Oh, waiting for the phone calls. You can reach out and tell me you don't agree with me. <laughs> uh, but second edition definitely does that. It's uh, the, if the thief picks a lock or picks a pocket, you get experience points. If the magic user casts a spell and it says you can use gold, but it's not the primary thing. It's not combat. It's more like what you do. So fighters get experience points for fighting. Magic users get it for casting spells. And I'm they're probably oversimplifying this. I think somewhere in the middle is where the sweet spot is for me. I think that the idea of saying, and you made a really good point because, so this is where I'm going to kind of come here. When you look at 5e, if you just go, I'm going to go, or any game, you go, I'm just going to say arbitrarily or whatever. When you cross this thing, or we played so many sessions, you level up. That's fine, I guess, if it's agreed upon. And some games actually work that way. But I think that tracking the points on some level, even if it's like your level one, your level 1.2, your level 1.7, you know, you're like literally doing it like that. So that the players know, because I did find when I was running and we got at higher levels, let's let's say 10th level in 5e, you know, it took a while before I felt like, well, you get a level. I mean, you should, it doesn't take that, you know, it takes a while to go from 10th to 11th level, but you do get the players going, oh, are we leveling up? Like they don't understand, unless you set very specific things. Like if you go, this is the campaign, which I didn't do because I was running a sandbox and you're like, your goal is to overthrow this kingdom. So when you get, you know, defeat these guys or slay this dragon, you level up when you do this. But I feel like now you're railroading a bit uh, if you do that. So if you're running a sandbox, like how do people know when they're, quote, accomplishing the goals? So I think the idea of doing what you said, keeping track of points, but then distributing them based on what they achieve, let's say, as opposed to the gold, if you don't want to flood the market with gold or if it doesn't fit your uh, campaign, you know, if you're not running like pirates digging up buried treasure, but rather you're like in the mud, like grimdark, you're not going to have people finding massive treasures. You know, and it's interesting because the players, when you tell them that they're that this is based on uh, the monsters that they kill or, you know, defeat, I'm sorry, not kill, defeat, they run mm -hmm. away, you get the points in my deal. And then role-playing and stuff. They'll, they'll, I have one guy that said, wait a minute, I thought I had this many points. Just last week he emailed me and I said, no, first of all, I award points differently that's in the book. And also you've got some role-playing. And he was all like, oh, he was delighted because he had less, he thought he had less points. But he's keeping track. He's sitting there writing in his notebook three trolls, you know, five bugbear, you know, whatever, and going home and looking because this is the thing. Players, they love their characters. They want them to advance. Right. And, and they see that this is a, it's a progression, uh, not a, 
you don't want to make it a slog, but it takes a little bit of effort. It isn't just like, mm-hmm. oh, we've run four sessions. Now I get to be fifth. Oh, we run four more. Yay, I get to be sixth, right? right or whatever. It's, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to accomplish things. And the other thing that I always say is renown. Like as you advance in levels, the people in communities know who you are. You have done things. And it isn't right. just an automatic thing. It's like I base it on the things they did in my world. And so that part of that leveling is now you have access to higher level NPCs, the people that run towns, the people that, you know, are really up to things. The other highest of the high, just like in the real world, they have nothing to do with you. You cannot just go in and I want to talk to that king because, oh, really, third level guy? Well, let, I'll, you're going to talk to him from this prison cell right. <laughs> and you'll never talk to him, you know, whatever. But it, so that's another part of the leveling up process you have access to new storylines. You know, right. we've discovered this ancient temple and it's a state-held secret. But now that you're a seventh-level person, you might be someone we would hire to go investigate this. That kind of a thing happens, right? So yeah. that's well, that's another aspect of that. Well, this might be a whole, like, this is totally a side thing. But it's funny because I was just looking at OD&D because we are talking about points. And, and also, I guess, AD&D has this. I'm not sure about second edition. Uh, but they name the character levels, right? And some people talk about the idea that, like, you would use that, right? Because there is this whole, like, nobody knows what level you are because, like, you're a level four. What does that even mean? But you're a swashbuckler. You start getting the, a title. It's like, oh, that's the swashbuckler. You know, it's kind of like this in-world, like, way that people know, oh, man, this guy's a high priest. We don't want to mess with them. Or they're an acolyte and we could kick their butt. I wonder how useful that is. And, again, created for your own campaigns so that they can actually be almost not necessarily titles, but um, things they call you. I don't know what you'd call that. Like, not a nickname so much, but like, oh, that guy's a, a, a let's say in a Western, it'd be like, oh, that guy's a gunslinger, you know, that kind of thing. Well, for instance, in any community, like, so if you're in a, uh, the MMA, you know people's reputation. You know right. what who they are. That guy's a, a tough. That guy's not so tough. That guy has this. If, if you're in a gambling, that guy's a really great gambler. He's on the tour. This guy is an amateur. This guy is, this guy's tight with his, with his cash. This guy's reckless. You know, all those. So you develop a reputation. So in a, a small society of, let's face it, it's the player characters, even though we play gritty, uh, let, people often want to be of humble background, the urchin or something. There is an arist- aristocracy of the higher level players, right? And sure. they everybody knows each other. Everybody knows who's who. And I just assume that because it's a, it's a limited group of people. Mm-hmm. So, yes, those titles, you know, a swashbuckler. And if, it, if you say that, then you know what that means relative to other right, titles. So you can like certainly use folk that. Is really what I'm thinking. Like, like if you if a guy comes to town and it's like, OK, you just see this guy. I mean, maybe, you know, because he has shiny armor and a lot of weapons and a, a entourage. But maybe you see them and they're like, oh, who's this grubby guy coming into town? And then somebody's, oh, you know, he's the. Uh, I don't know, backstabber or whatever the, a thief would be. I don't know what the names are for the because I don't use thieves in my game. But, you know, uh, and I just wonder, uh, and at some points, like I tell all my players because we're playing OD&D, I give them their their title. We don't really use it. I'd, I'd like to use it more. And every once in a while, I do mention something and people will be like, oh, hold on, that sounds powerful. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, you know, it's Lord, whatever, you know, like, oh, well, I mean, because that's a common one that people would understand. But it just, it's just a side note I was thinking. But let's quickly uh, touch on something else because we were talking a little bit about uh, – I ran also a Hyperborea campaign also for almost three years, and that went to about ninth level. And what's interesting about Hyperborea is it does actually suggest that you do some of the things that we're talking about. I never give out XP for roleplay. I'm just going to say that up front. I don't like it. Uh, I was in a campaign when somebody did that, and I didn't like it because basically it became 
And this is, again, people are going to disagree with me. See, I'm trying to set it up so people can disagree with me. Uh, <laughs> it became, oh, I made the DM laugh, or the DM likes the way I play my character, so I get more XP than you, but they don't like the way that somebody else plays a character. I, I don't care for that, and I know it doesn't always have to be that, but the same reason why I do is inspiration. But what I what, what uh, Hyperborea recommends you do is you just literally give them XP for being there. You play the game. You're a player at the table, you're playing, you get XP, you know, whatever it is. It's a small amount, although what I did was I scaled it as they went up levels to make it more reasonable. But I was just thinking as we were doing this, because we're talking about um, uh, goals or, uh, you know, uh, milestones. You know, in most of these campaigns, I, I ran the modules. In most of these modules, you're going around, you're picking up some gold here, you're picking up some gold there. And then usually near the end, when you kind of accomplish the goal of the module, you find the secret treasure, you slay the god, you defeat the aliens. There's some crazy treasure and that levels you up. So in a way, it's almost the same thing, right? Because you reach the end and you slay that, you find the pirate treasure, let's say. When you get that pirate treasure and you bring it home, you get the 100,000 experience points or whatever it might be we were talking about earlier, right? You don't get the 100,000 as soon as you pick it up in the, in the, at the island, right? So if, if you were doing that as a milestone campaign, you'd be like, all right, well, you go to the island, you get the treasure, you bring it home, that's your milestone, you level up. In a game where it's gold, the milestone is just the gold, right? Well, and, and a couple things there, because uh, I agree with you that when you, you've got to return with whatever, if you defeat the thing, you've got to return. And that's why they have the whole training thing. And the, oh my God, I suddenly, now I realize I'm sixth level or seventh level or whatever. I would go back to the role playing. I always give uniform role play uh, experience. Okay. So if you play for a week and you're all, even if one person does all the talking and the other people don't do any, because that's the nature of them, how they, they just aren't comfortable with it. I just say for that, you got this many points, everybody in the group. So I never differentiate right. because of exactly what you're saying. Inspiration is one of those mechanics where I write down who I'm giving inspiration to, and I try to make sure that I'm giving it evenly, right? Uh -huh. So I wait. So if you've got inspiration, it's going to be a little while, unless you just do something absolutely unbelievable. But I hate that because of just what you're saying. Oh, he like, because they're, they're keeping track. Players, mm -hmm. everybody knows. It's just like with money and stuff. You know, people know how much money everyone's getting or what, you know, that kind of thing, yeah. even though we all act like we don't, they're, they're aware. So you don't want to create favoritism. But wouldn't successfully negotiating a peace treaty between two warring groups be experienced to you as a mm -hmm. as just like anything you do in life? Once you've done it once, you have experience. Once you've done it 10 times, you really have experience, et cetera. And that should ref be reflected in your character. So that's just why I give it out for role playing, because it's just part of the, the game to me. It's like yeah. that, that should because otherwise it's just turns into the monster fest. And right. again, uh, when I look at the first edition monster manual, that every page is totally familiar to me. Every monster I've run, you know, <laughs> or even like things like Fiends Folio, all these ridiculous monsters in there that we would just run because we got to fight something or whatever, you know. So, right. and and that becomes like, well, is there something else to this? Is there something that I can create or that I can do that? But but again, it's <laughs> you have to get experienced at it, right? If you just mm -hmm. start handing it out for people doing crazy things, you, it, it turns into a not a good thing. And so you got to be thinking about it. And also if you say, oh, you guys really negotiated that peace treaty. So you go from eighth to ninth level. Really? And it took us, you know, six months to go from seventh to eighth. Well, you know, it's got to, it's got to all scale in a way. And that's just right. a game mechanic, right? It well, isn't necessarily because in theory, that peace treaty might've been the greatest thing your character ever did. 
I mean, it would right. be worth that many experience points, but it's a game. Well, I think that's really interesting, and I, and I, I think that you're right. And, and kind of like with the Pirate Treasure, I said, if you were doing a peace treaty, it wouldn't be that you'd level up just from sitting in a room negotiating it, right? It would have been all you did to bring the people together, to find the right factions, to do the research. Like, that would be the thing, right? And this is, again, why I like the idea of, of uh, what, what you're saying before about breaking it up and, and still counting points. Instead of being like, okay, you're at seven and you spend uh, whatever amount of time negotiating Petri, all of a sudden you're at eight. It's more like you get these people to show up there, you get some experience points, you get these people, they, they show up. So those kind of like more small, smaller trackable milestones maybe make more sense for me. So that if I was doing it again, uh, right now I'm going strictly gold for experience points. And it's funny, I talked about it before, that the player characters are still not doing stuff that gets some XP because they like role-playing. I mean, the, you know, you got, it depends on your group, obviously. Some people just want that level. But I will say that, like, so going back to the roleplay thing briefly, I ran Coriolis also for a while, about over a year to, for the first part of the campaign. And in that game, you get experience points in a sense for roleplaying because you get it for, like, acting out your flaw or if it affects you. And one of my players, you know who you are, had a flaw that they were, like, whatever, rambunctious or whatever. And, like, every single session, it actually became a thing. Like, everybody was like, really? And at some point, I was just like, I'm not going to let you get experience points for this anymore because you're really just, like, disrupting the game you know, to, in order to get your experience points. And, and you know, I, I'm thinking this. I didn't actually say it because ultimately the players were just like, stop doing that. Like, and they, he stopped doing it. So now you know, really know who you are. <laughs> but anyways, it's a, it's an interesting thing. So this kind of circles all the ways back. We're getting a little long, but I want to talk about the thing we started talking about, which was DCC. Well, that's because I have just started. I played two sessions in a an online campaign. And so we're just, we just got to first level. I've looked at the leveling. It's a very low uh low experience system it seems like what you know uh 10 point i can't see i don't have the books in front of me so you right. know this more what are what is the, the level uh, uh exp requirements for that right so what dzc does is they base your experience points not on gold you get or role playing or whatever it's literally based on encounters and every encounter is worth from zero so if it's nothing right you meet a guard on the street you don't get experience points for that to three for like a major combat or something major changing so what happens is no matter how, if whether you live, die, well, not die, obviously, if you, whether you live, whether you uh, just and run away, whether you solve the problem, whatever it is, you get experience points just for experiencing the thing, which I think is pretty cool because it does open the game up to being played a lot of different ways. I'm sure a lot of people play it with just, you know, dungeon crawling, obviously, and like fights and stuff. But when I ran my, again, almost one year long DCC campaign, almost all of it was just travel, interacting with NPCs, negotiating, talking, just like living in the world and then every session i would award experience points based on how many kind of interesting interactions and things like how the the story if you were was moving forward and they were able to level up i think they started i gave them a second level character to first level character and by the end i think they were on four and five well and and as i said i'm just starting but it, that's totally interesting in terms of if you have a group that's interested in that interested in just meeting people and role playing and negotiating or whatever it is they're doing living in the world as opposed to the traditional let's fight things, you know, and it works for you. That's a great method of, and you can adapt that to any system, really. You just have to think right. about what's the scale, what's the, what does it take in terms of points, right, to do that. Right. What I yeah. have always found is there's always that, um, there's players, I have two in my current 5e campaign who just want to fight battles. <laughs> yep. And when we role play, they don't like it. Then I have one or two more that that are like 
that are like, uh, they like to role play. They don't mind battles, but they like to role play. They like to manipulate the world. They're all into becoming figures in this world, and they have plans. There was this rest stop that got taken over, so now they're going to build a road. They're, they're collecting gold to build an alternate route through the Badlands, and so that, that's the way they play the game. They, they're interacting with the world. And then one who, she is just on both sides. She likes to have battles, but she likes the role play. It's just kind of back and forth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so it's an issue because, and the two that like the role play the most are very experienced players. So they have the same right. issue of I've done all these battles a million times. I've done let's roll initiative a million times. Oh, it's a sandbox campaign. Oh, he puts a lot of work into it. Oh, I can see that I can influence this pretend world. Let's do that. Right. And as long as I get some points for whatever I'm doing, if I, again, these guys, I don't know whether they, if they were just stuck at fifth or sixth level and we ran for months and months and they didn't, I didn't give them any experience because the way my system, I mean, I wouldn't do that because I give out experience for role play, but maybe they'd be satisfied. I don't know. It's an interesting question. But I know the other two player characters would be like, <laughs> I want to fight something, right? So, yeah. you know, you have to, again, whatever your system is, however fast you go up or down or whether you do or don't, as long as your players are having fun, you're all set. And But if they're not, you know, maybe they need to find another game. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts yeah. are. Yeah, well, I think it's super interesting. So what's cool about DCC's system is that, Again, I, I described the campaign where we ran mostly negotiations and exploration. You could also run all combat because, again, a combat is an encounter. You could also run one where you're doing heists or or you're going through deadly dungeons as a thief and just like avoiding traps because every trap is an encounter. So I like the vagueness of it. I think it's a really interesting system. I've only run one like campaign in DCC. I've run a lot of DCC, but just one campaign. And I did think it worked out really well. Uh, it does, just like most OSR-adjacent games, rely a lot on DM fiat because it doesn't tell you what you should get. It gives you a range, zero to three. Like, what is it worth, right? So you got to kind of think about that and how quickly you think uh, somebody should level and also how uh, how relevant it is, right? Because if you're like, well, you meet this uh, beggar on the street who uh, tries to pick your pocket, you slap him in the face, three experience points, and then you fight a dragon, you give him one experience point. Like, that's not going to make sense. So you need to make sure it makes sense in your world. And I think that if you are playing a game, let's say a game where all the experience points is technically from uh, fighting, let's say, and you have players that don't just want to do that, then you've got to add some house rulings or some modifications to help the game carry along so you don't always have to fight so that other players can enjoy. And if your game is just all negotiation experience points, then you got to add some experience points for fighting because some players are going to want to do that if that's your group. I think you can you can do that as a GM pretty easily because there's so many systems to look at and reference. But I do think DCC is a good model to just kind of peek at if you haven't looked at it before, because it's just encounter. Like, that's just how it works. Well, anyway, so that's kind of a wrap up on that, because we've talked quite a time, a long time on this. And there's actually a bunch of topics here nested within this topic mm-hmm. that maybe we'll get to at a later date. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear your voice on the show, give us a call. There's a link in the show notes. You can find us both on YouTube. Uh, Daniel is at Bandit's Keep. And I'm on D&D Homebrew, also linked in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, please give us a rating and review on your favorite podcatcher. And we'll see you next week.